Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to the Science of Success. Introducing your host, Matt Bodner. Welcome to the Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet, with more than 3 million downloads and listeners in over 100 countries. In this episode, we discuss how to find your purpose in life, especially when you're lost or confused about what to do next. We hear some incredible stories and unforgettable lessons from people who are fighting through life-threatening illnesses. And look at how to really push yourself beyond what you thought was possible to achieve what truly matters to you. All of this and much more with our guest, John Vroman. Do you need more time? Time for work? Time for thinking and reading? Time for the people in your life? Time to accomplish your goals? This was the number one problem our listeners outlined, and we created a new video guide that you can get completely for free when you sign up and join our email list. It's called How You Can Create Time for the Things That Really Matter in Life. You can get it completely for free when you sign up and join the email list at successpodcast.com. You're also going to get exclusive content that's only available to our email subscribers. We recently pre-released an episode and an interview to our email subscribers a week before it went live to our broader audience. And that had tremendous implications because there was a limited offer in there with only 50 available spots that got eaten up by the people who were on the email list first. With that same interview, we also offered an exclusive opportunity for people on our email list to engage one-on-one for over an hour with one of our guests in a live exclusive interview just for email subscribers. There's some amazing stuff that's available only to email subscribers that's only going on if you subscribe and sign up to the email list. You can do that by going to successpodcast.com and signing up right on the homepage. Or if you're driving around right now, if you're out and about and you're on the go, you don't have time, just text the word SMARTER to the number 44222. That's S-M-A-R-T-E-R to the number 44222. 
In our previous episode, we asked how champions are made. Are they born or are they built? Is nature versus nurture even a useful model for understanding human performance? We looked at the incredible power of focus and how it translates into championship performance. We studied how Navy SEALs use the technique of drown proofing and how you can use the same thing to conquer your own fears and perform like a champion. We discussed all of that and much more with our previous guest, Dr. Rowan Hooper. If you want to learn the truth about world-class performance, listen to our previous episode. Now for our interview with John. Today, we have another great guest on the show, John Vroman. John is the co-founder of the Front Row Foundation, a charity that creates unforgettable moments for individuals who are braving life-threatening illnesses. John teaches others to live life in the front row through teaching and inspiring others with the art of moment making. He's also an award-winning speaker, podcast host, and multi-bestselling author. John, welcome back to the Science of Success. Hey, guys. Great to be here. Well, we're super excited to have you back on the show. And for listeners who may not be familiar with you or your work or might not have heard your previous interview on Science of Success, I'd love to start out with a core theme that really inspires and and flows through all of your work, which is this idea of learning about living life from those who are fighting for their lives. Yeah, that's that's been a decade-long study for me and a privilege to be witness to so many people who are in the fight. And, uh, you know, after we started Front Row Foundation back in 2005, and, you know, here we are, you know, 13 years later. And when we wrote the book, The Front Row Factor, it was, we, we realized there's so much wisdom here from people who are who are facing death. And this isn't terminal situations, but when somebody has an illness, a disease, uh, something in their world that's threatening their existence, a lot of things become super clear. A lot of things that we used to make a big deal about seem to no longer be such a burden and that what's truly important tends to emerge. And that's what we want to define. We just had so many opportunities to be in conversation with people that were experiencing that level of focus. And I, I can actually, I, you know, I'm a storyteller. That's, that's what I do is I'll, I'll give you an example of what I mean, because it's not just speaking in theory, right? Like we took a, a woman on an event one time, her name was Nikki and she was battling uh, breast cancer at the time. We took her and her husband to go see the Dallas Cowboys and it was uh, in the midst of their front row experience. We're in a limousine. We're heading to dinner right before the game. And I don't know how we got here, but she made a comment that when she walks into public places, sometimes people look at her with kind of like a, like a look of disgust because she has her head shaved or she might be in, in treatments and she's not looking per se at her best. And she says people give her this look. And when she said it, I, I, you know, I felt myself getting angry at the people. I felt myself wanting to stand up for her, kind of fight somebody on this, you know, and, and, and call them out. And right as I'm getting angry, she's like, and that makes me happy that they're looking at her that way. And I was like, okay, you, I'm, I'm, you caught me. Like, what do you mean it makes you happy? Tell me. She said, John, it makes me happy because if they look at me with disgust, it means they have no context to my situation. Certainly they've never battled cancer and, and they don't know anybody who has, because if they did, they would never look at me that way. So I'm happy they don't know this pain. And when she said that, I realized how much room I had to grow as a human, how much I could evolve in the way that I viewed people and my situation and our in, entanglement with others. And that type of story showed up time and time again from kids to people that were at the end of their life fighting for their life. But those are, those are the lessons that I've been learning and, and trying to live myself, you know, trying to be a better human myself and then, and then trying to teach other people what we're hearing and witnessing. 
And I think one of the most important lessons that comes to me out of all the things you've taught and written about is this idea that the finite time in our lives in many ways can seem sort of scary and morbid, but if you really think about it, it can create an appreciation for the now and for the moments in our lives. 100%. Yeah, there's a little bit of like the moment you realize <laughs> that it's all, the moment you come to grips with the fact that this is going to end. But people don't like that idea at first, right? Like I'll stand in a room giving a speech and I'm like, the one thing we all have in common is that a hundred years from now, everybody here is dead, right? Barring any miracle medical, you know, evolution, we're all, we're all gone. That's, this is going to end for everybody. That's a scary thought. I don't like to think about my sons, my two boys. I have a nine-year-old and a four-year-old. I like to think about the end of their life. That's not, but when I recognize that there is a finite amount of time, every day counts more because you appreciate it because it has an end. So as an example, I remember coming to my buddy, John Kane, one of my best friends in the world. And it was a summer, a few summers ago, beginning of the summer. And I said, Hey buddy, we have 16 weeks this summer, 16 Saturdays with our boys. Let's not waste a single one. And he was like, oh my God, I never thought about that. That in the summertime, we get 16 Saturdays. And then I had a buddy of mine, Jim Shields, who wrote a book called The Family Board Meeting. And he talks about 18 summers. When you have a child that's born, you have 18 summers with them before they're an adult and off into the world. Now, I know that my wife fights me on this. And she's like, our kids are never leaving the house. <laughs> you know, it's not just 18, you get many more. And I get that. It's just, but when we recognize that there are seasons of life and there's a statistics about how you'll spend like 90% of the time with your children before they reach the age of like 12 or something like that, right? It's, it's staggering to think that these are realities that many people do face in their life. And I remember being on an airplane and pulling out a journal and putting a little dot on the left-hand side and a little dot on the right-hand side. Left side was my birth, right side was my death. And I thought, oh, let's just say I lived to be 100, right? And let's say 80 of those years are amazing years. I put a dot right where I was at the time, which is about 37 years old. And I was like, oh my God, like that's, that's it. I'm looking at my whole life on a timeline and I'm almost halfway through the great years that I have. That didn't create a paralyzing feel. That created energy. That created vibrancy, appreciation, and urgency to make sure that I made the most of my moments. It changed the way that I approached my days. And that's what I hope to inspire with other people so that we don't have to face a life-threatening illness to get that wisdom and that lesson. How do people wake up? How do they have a reaction of vibrancy and, and the urgency to live and appreciate and truly experience life instead of being in a place of fear or paranoia? I think a lot of it goes back to, well, three things that we teach in the book, right? These are the three areas of focus of living a front row life, as we call it. And that's one is that it's your mindset. It's the way you think. And, and this is not new, right? But it's a good to be reminded of this. I often tell people that personal growth isn't always about learning something new. It's about remembering what's true. It's practicing the habits and the rituals and the ideas and the rhythms that actually work. And one of them is the questions that we ask. You know, the questions that we ask shape our future. If we ask powerful questions, we get powerful answers. One of our dominant questions of the charity is how can I consciously create, experience, and celebrate the meaningful moments of life? If somebody goes through their day and their dominant question is, how can I consciously create experience and celebrate the meaningful moments of life? They're acting differently than if somebody goes through life saying, what's wrong here? What am I missing? What's not happening in my life that's happening in everybody else's life? Why are they so much further ahead than I am? 
right? <laughs> Why are they on vacation and I'm here slaving away? That we ask the wrong questions and we get the wrong answers. I didn't make that up. I've been repeating that. That seems to be every, every wise person that's traveled the road ahead of me has said that about the power of questions. So I think managing our mindset is really important. And, and part of how we manage our mindset is by the environment that we put ourselves in and the relationships that we're in. If our environment lights us up, we're bound to behave differently. Sean Aker in, in The Happiness Advantage, he was a Harvard professor, right? And he did a lot of research on happiness. And one of the things he wrote about in his book was this 20-second rule where he wanted to learn guitar. And he thought, well, I never play it, but it's always in my closet. What if I put the guitar in the middle of the room? The percentage of times that he played the guitar went way through the roof. What if we shape our environment intentionally in all areas? What if we put things in our way? What if we become the chief marketing officers in our own lives? Why do we wait for the world to market to us? Why don't we market to ourselves? We don't put enough time and attention into where we show up in life. You know, like literally our environment. We work very hard in the charity to shape people's environment by sending them to these, to these incredible events. One of the reasons I love going to retreats is because it changes my environment. And there's amazing research on this, right? They, they literally have studied people, older folks, who they created an environment where they turned back the clock. There's a famous study I wrote about in the book where they literally put people in an environment where they, all the magazines, all the pictures on the wall, everything was from 20 years earlier. These are men in their 70s. And what they did is they took all the vital signs before the, the experiment, all the vital signs afterwards, and they recognized that literally by putting somebody in an environment where they were not only acting like they were younger, but they were in an environment that suggested they were younger, that these men by saliva tests and measuring their height and flexibility and all these other different measurements, they, they literally changed physically and mentally. They were sharper. Their eyesight improved. Some of their hands got longer because their arthritis diminished. Like it was incredibly profound about the power of our environment. And then, and then the other way is by the relationships. I mean, listen, we have such a strong desire to connect with people that when we have somebody that's, that we're accountable to, when we have somebody that's, that we're connected to, it changes our, our world. I mean, the, the, the incredible book, Connected, written by Christakis and Fowler, that, that basically proved with science that we're affected by our relationships, right? The biggest determining factor of somebody's health and happiness in life is the relationships they have. So if we want to wake up every day and make the most of our moments, if we want to live life to the fullest, if we want to make the most of our time, we have to focus on those three areas. What's going on inside our head? How are we dictating that conversation? What does our environment look like? And every piece of it that we can manage, some of your you know, listeners might be like, I can't manage my environment right now. Like I live in this area. I can't move away from this area. Okay, well, manage what you can. And then, and then it's relationships. Choosing who we want to be in the front row with, right? Who's in our front row? Whose front row are we in? Who are we connected and close to? That's it. Tell me more about the power of relationships and, and creating close connections with people that can help foster accountability and create really meaningful impact in your lives? Well, here's one of the things that we teach, which is you write out a list of your top eight relationships and you, you rank them in order of importance, one through eight. Okay. And that's very hard for some people to wrap their heads around, but you can do it, right? You rate, rank them one through eight. And then what you do is you write down what their biggest dream or goal is. Now, amazingly, if you're the eight most important people in your life, a lot of us, me included, at many times in my life, I can't tell you what they are. A lot of people are married. They can't even tell you what their spouse's number one dream or goal is, right? And it just goes to show that here's the thing. We've, we spend a lot of time focusing on our own dreams and our own goals and how we can grow. And I get that, right? Me too. I want it just like everybody else. But the front row philosophy is showing up for others. We, we have no shortage of attention of the philosophy of get in the game. 
play the game. Don't be on the sidelines. We almost like condemn people that are on the sidelines. Like, oh, you're on the sideline. Well, I'm in the game. I'm awesome. Don't, you know, don't be, you know, people have challenged me over time. I talk about living life in the front row and they're like, well, I don't want to be in the front row. I want to be the one on stage. And I'm like, I get it, man. I'm a professional speaker. Like I, I understand the value of being on stage, but let me tell you that that can't be it in life. We can't go through life always wanting to be the one on stage or be the one playing the game. What about supporting others? What about cheering somebody on? What about putting them on stage, making them the rock star? Both have to play a role. But we, what we want to do is we want people to say, you, you, you know, Zig Ziglar said it best. He was like, if you want everything you want in life, you got to help enough people get what they want in life. That's the key, right? And I probably just butchered how he said it. He probably said it way better than that, but that's basically what he said. And so I think that part of how we nurture these relationships, part of how we build relationships is we show up to serve. We show up to give Put somebody in the front row, shine the light on them, put make them the rock star, and that's living life in the front row. It's a life of service. That's what it is. And when you do that, the best fans get the best show. When you do that, you will get the best performance from the people around you. They'll want to play for you. They'll want to serve you. They'll want to play for you because you showed up for them. That's how I think the game works. There's so many avenues that I want to explore coming out of that. To, to zoom out and, and come back a little bit, for listeners who may not have been familiar with this term, living life in the front row, tell me a little bit more. You, you started to get into that, but tell me more about what does that mean to, to live life in the front row? Yeah, I'm glad you asked to clarify that. Sometimes I get all fired up and I forget about context. <laughs> so, you know, so we know charity is front row foundation, right? We put people in the front row of their favorite event, and then we teach them how to live life in the front row, as we say. And what that means is living life in the front row is about getting close. It's a metaphor for getting close to the people, places, and things that make you come alive, that you can show up for, that's what it's about. You know, uh, Tony Robbins has, has always said, proximity is power. Then that's, that's the philosophy, right? What do we get close to? And so a, a front row life is where you intentionally and consciously create, experience, and celebrate the meaningful moments of life. So when I talk about living life in the front row, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about somebody who values also three things that we talk about. Now, I talked about the three areas of focus, right? Of relationships, of mindset, of environment. But the three things that our community values the most is hope, celebration, and presence. I like to think of life as like this pendulum that swings from the past to the future. And, it, and it, when our pendulum is swinging into the future, we're thinking about what's next. What's the next call we've got to be on? What's the next thing we're going to do? As we record this, what's going to happen around the holidays, right? What do we want to create? Where are we going? What's next? That's, how, that's, that's our future. When we really have hope for the future, we are, a, we are able to bring the power of possibility into the present moment so we can do something about it. It's not wishful thinking. This is not weakness. Hope is very powerful because it creates change. Because when we look into the future and we're excited about something, we know what makes us come alive. We know what we want to create, how we want to serve. It can change how we behave in the moment. People who live life in the front row understand the power of celebration, looking in the past. Right? They, they understand, they can look back and say, what worked? How can I do that again? What's worth celebrating? Some people go through life and they achieve so much success, but they never take time to celebrate it. And they miss out on that really amazing feeling of looking back on the day and saying, what am I grateful for? What were the highlight moments? What were the wins today? Right? That's a huge part of how we feel in the present moment. And there's so much science behind that, right? Talk about Sean Aker, who we were talking about earlier, like his science behind gratitude and looking back and celebrating wins is huge. Massive victories there. 
you know, in the science, in, in, in the space of science saying, how does this affect somebody's chemistry of their body, the chemicals that releases? And then it's being in the present moment. And, and this, like this pendulum, we're kind of swinging through the present moment. Very hard to be in the moment. Very hard. We can practice it. I mean, even meditation is the practice of coming back to the present moment, right? You get distracted, you come back to it. They go, that's actually meditating, not staying in the present moment, but the art of coming back to it. So being in the present moment is just the ability to not always pull out your phone and take a video or a picture per se, but to just feel it, to be there, to be witness to it, to, to be in that experience. And I think that, that living life in the front row is understanding the power of those three things. And we have countless examples of that in the charity. You talk about hope, people fighting to stand up for the national anthem, you know, at their front row event, working hard weeks and months prior in their physical therapy so they can stand up for the national anthem. That's a power of hope changing how we behave. People on their, on their deathbed, literally days away from losing their life, looking back at photo albums, with a smile on their face, celebrating their front row moments, taking the pain away from their present moment because their focus goes elsewhere on the celebration of life and what they, you know, what they, what they've done and experienced. And then this idea of being able to like do something with your moments. Hey, as it's unfolding, as it's happening, how, how, how good of a listener are you when someone's talking? It's a great example. That's a front row life. That's a front row skill, listening. A lot of times in society, we put all the value in what you're saying, and it's ironic because I'm doing a lot of talking right now. But normally in my life, when I'm not on a podcast interview, I'm focused on listening. I'm actually focused on not saying much, but hearing more. And I think that's a front row life. We have a world where we want to talk and we put all this value in the things that you say, the brilliant things you say, right? How you lead and what about just how you listen to people at times? I think these are ways that we can live a front row life. We went pretty deep in our previous interview into celebration and, and how to really create celebration in your life. I want to explore a little bit more this idea of hope. And yeah. especially, I really like the notion that you shared this idea that hope is not weakness. Yeah, it kind of sounds a little light. You know, like if you're like, hey, I want to come in and talk to your sales team about hope. They're like, oh, I'd much be more interested in like closing sales, <laughs> right? Yeah, feels a little light. So tell me more about why hope isn't weakness. Well, I think that hope changes the way we behave. You know, one of my favorite movies, and I don't remember if we talked about this in the previous interview, but Shawshank Redemption, right? And this incredible, nobody knows what that's about. It's, it's basically about a man who escapes from prison, an innocent man that was put in prison, and he finally escapes. And it was about, the movie to me was about persistence. The movie to me was about st being steadfast in your belief that you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, pun intended, right? And for this, in this movie, he gets out. He just suffers and suffers and suffers, and your heart is breaking with this, this character of the movie. And, it, and at the end, you know, when he gets out, and I, by the way, I'm, I don't know whether or not you've seen the movie, but I'm talking to all the people out there who may not have seen the movie. It's like, and as a reminder to those who have, when he gets out, he, he gets to this one tree and he digs up a, a kind of a treasure that his cellmate had told him about. And, and he starts reading a letter. And one of the things is hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things and good things never die. And I'll never forget hearing that line in the movie. I'll never forget understanding how hope creates in our world this determination and perseverance and gives us this, this energy to act. And I think that's the difference, right? It's, it's a way of understanding the power of dreams that people have in their life. One of my friends, Matthew Kelly, who's a wonderful author, 
wrote a book, wrote many books, <laughs> but one of them is called The Dream Manager. And The Dream Manager is all uh, is about understanding that as a manager of people, we sometimes underestimate the power of knowing what their dreams are and how their current role in their current job can actually help them to live out their dreams. So on his team, and he's a consultant and works with big companies all over the world, he on his team and what he teaches other people to do is to literally have the dream sessions with their teams where people come to a staff meeting with a list of a hundred dreams. And they literally go around the table and you just start with your number one dream and you read it off to the group and you talk about that dream and then you keep going around the table. And what's amazing is that people can actually start to help make other people's dreams come to life. And then now that sales team, that team of nurses or right that, that, that group of accountants, all of a sudden they find more meaning and purpose in their moments because they have hope for the future and that they can actually find out how what we're doing today, our, our team, why are we together? Why are we working together? It's not just to do these numbers as an accountant, but it's to actually be in relationship with one another. It's actually to understand what each other's hopes and dreams are and to help each other move forward, that this becomes a vessel, that this work that we do becomes a conduit to our, our possible future, right? That's, that to me is the magic of hope. Hope is uniting. Hope is collaborative. Hope brings things to life. And I think that's, that's something that we all need. I mean, truly, when a company talks about a 10-year vision or in Japan and you know, overseas, they talk about the 100-year visions and, right, that companies are creating. Really, what they're talking about is what they're hopeful for. What do they hope happens within their company? And the, the reason it's in some ways is hope is because Nobody controls the future. I mean, look at most, most plans become, you know, they become archives immediately because they literally, we don't know what the future holds for that plan. That's why so many great leaders that I know are like planning beyond like 90 days. You know, yeah, you could cast a vision. Yeah, you could be hopeful for things that you could create. But, you know, I mean, we just don't know what's, what's going to happen right? We don't know what's going to happen. So when life is throwing us curveballs, when we're getting punched in the face, when we're, we're in the storm, hope, hope brings us through because it creates, it's always a possibility. And who doesn't need that? Who doesn't need to overcome adversity? Every business owner, every parent, every, everybody. It's not a person on the planet. So on some level, this has to be a role in someone's life. Right? This has to be a, a place. We don't live in the future. I don't live in hope. I just live into it. The whole discussion around dreams and goals and, and the exercise you shared earlier, I think is really powerful, which is this idea of writing down the dreams and goals of the people who are closest to you. Even thinking about people in my own life, it's amazing how it's so easy to overlook that. And, and yet there's such a rich ground for engagement and meaning and relationship building if, if we just wrote that list down and, and began with that. Yeah. It's so fascinating, even for me, to think about how I'll teach this and then occasionally I'll go, oh, I should probably do what I teach, <laughs> you know, and, and I go, oh, I, I actually need to, need to go back to the basics in my own life. That's right. One of my favorite questions always is what, what dreams are making you come alive right now? right? Like, what are you chasing? What are you hopeful for? If everything worked out, if, if, if this year were wildly successful, what would change in your life? Those are the things I want to talk about. You know, that's so much better than what do you do at a party, right? Asking that question, what do you do? 
it's like, hey, what are you excited about right now? So cool. Let's people take it wherever they want. I'm definitely going to upgrade my cocktail conversation to use that question. <laughs> right, right. Oh, it's so funny. Speaking of that, like I remember years ago, I was at a, a networking event of some type or co- personal growth conference. And I, I never do this, but I did it in the moment where I said to the woman, I go, what do you do? And her response was, oh, I hate that question. I was like, I was like, me too. I'm so sorry I asked it. Like, but she gave me the most direct, brutally honest response to that question. I thought it was super funny. And I think it, it also underscores, you touched on this earlier, but I think it's worth coming back to and exploring the importance of showing up to serve others and, and to put others oftentimes or, or many times ahead of yourself and how that can really create meaning in our lives and help foster and develop incredibly powerful relationships. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. So something else that you, you've, you've talked about in the past, and, and you actually talked about in our previous interview, but we didn't get to go deep on it, and I wanted to come back and explore in this conversation, is the idea of creating fuel for your life, fuel to really help you move forward and be energized and excited about engaging with the world. I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you think about creating kind of that evergreen fuel or energy for yourself. I think fuel is purpose. Right? It's the why behind things. And when we started Front Row Foundation, one of the questions that led to the decision to start it was, what are you, what is your, what are your fears and what are your loves, right? We thought those are two opposite ends of a spectrum that are very important to explore to understand why you want to do something. So in, in our case, you know, one of the things that I loved was experiences. I wanted to get to the end of my life and feel like I had made the most of my time that I, you know, I didn't just kind of watch the world go by that. I really stepped into it and was a part of it. And I was interested in not just being, you know, somebody that was letting happen, letting moments happen to me as much as I was creating those moments with intention. And, and that my greatest celebrations at that time were times where I really did something epic and I would tell that story for years. Like I would have a party at my house and I would really work hard to make sure all my friends had a really good time. And I would end up ten- telling that story down the road. We would celebrate that. And I thought there's something there, you know, to life that these experiences over things, right, was very important. And that, that would be, that's what I would be proud of is not a life of material possessions that I collected, but experiences that we created. Then the fear was actually just the opposite of that, which is getting to the end and thinking that I didn't do that. My greatest fear was wasting my life. So if I knew that my greatest fear and my greatest love were very complementary of one another, how could I help people who had a life-threatening illness to have perhaps one of the, arguably one of the best days of their life ever. And then to let that be a metaphor for how they live every day of their life. And it was actually those questions that led us to the start of Front Row Foundation. And when, in the very beginning, we were running an ultra marathon to raise money. Now I was not a runner. I don't know if we talked about this before, but I had never run more than three miles in my whole life. Literally never ran track. I was never, I never did it for fun. I never did it for any reason. I never ran more than, most I ever ran was three miles one time with my dad when I think I was like 13 or 14 years old. I never forget he was so blown away that I actually made it three miles. But since then, never ran. In fact, I had been in sports and I had some knee stuff and I used to tell myself, not a runner, have knee problems. And my buddy comes to me, he says, let's run a 52 mile ultra marathon. And I remember laughing, being like, dude, you're insane. Like there's, I've never run 10 miles, five miles. I've never, you want, you want my first marathon to be 52 miles? And then he's like, yeah. And I said, dude, I, I can't, I got bad knees. And he goes, 
if you can't, you must. And I, you know, that moment when your friends say something to you and you're like, I don't have a good comeback for this, but you're right. Like in many ways, like I, I'm glad that he challenged me. I loved that idea that if you tell yourself you can't do something, maybe that's the thing you need to go do more than anything, right? To overcome that fear and to push beyond that boundary, that limiting belief of your life. So I reluctantly signed up and then we started training and, you know, long story short, we ended up doing it. We ended up running 52 miles, 16 weeks later, 16 weeks. That's what I trained for 16 weeks. And it's a much longer story. And I wrote about it in the front row factor book, but I will tell you that what, what hit me during that run, the most valuable lesson I got from that whole thing was that I was in excruciating pain at mile 26. I didn't think I could move my foot another step. I had this really bad pain in my right knee, now of which I know is an IT band that was tight. Feels like somebody was stabbing me in my knee every step I took. I was literally on the ground at 26 miles. I was grabbing my leg. I was in tears. I was crying, right? I'm 30 years old. I'm on the ground. I'm crying, grabbing my leg. I'm in so much pain. And, and then I have this thought. I have this thought about this little girl named Sophie, who we did an event for. Sophie was four years old battling a brain tumor, in and out of surgeries, treatments. We took her to go see Kelly Clarkson. She had an amazing time. Met Kelly Clarkson. Pictures hanging like three feet from where I stand right now. And at her funeral, her, her mom and dad put her VIP Kelly Clarkson badge around her neck as they buried her. And I thought about the fight that this little girl was in. And I thought about the pain that she endured all the time. And I thought about the pain that her parents endured through that journey and still beyond her passing. And then I thought about this knee pain that I had. And all of a sudden it just became in perspective. And I thought about all the people that we had written a letter to and told them that we were going to do this run and they had donated money and they believed in us. And all of a sudden with all that new purpose, the pain started to subside. The pain started to go away. I started to get connected to my, my purpose of why I was there. And so purpose relieves pain, you know, and, and pain often becomes our purpose. And so I said, when your why has heart, your how gets legs and your why, why you do something, why build that business, why teach at that school? Why donate to that charity? Why host this podcast? Why get write that book? Why do this speech? Why take your kids to school? Why enroll them in that special school? Why move your house to a new neighborhood? Why do anything that takes a lot of effort? Why do that? When you're clear about that, when your why has real heart, your how gets legs. How you get that done, you'll always find a way. You don't have to know how. You have to know why to begin. And then you'll figure out how, if you have a big enough reason why. And I'm not the first person to ever say it. I'm the first person to say it that way. When your why has heart, your how gets legs. But this is a concept that I'd heard people talk about. And it finally made sense to me. It finally made sense. I've heard people say, when your why is strong enough, your how reveals itself. And it just hit me on this run that that's why I needed to move. That if I had a big enough heart, if I could stay connected, if I could hold this image of Sophie, four years old in my mind, if I could hold the image of my donors, if I could hold the image of future recipients of our charity in my mind, that I would then be able to move. And so reluctantly, I moved another 26 miles. But I did it 
because I had real purpose. And I think that's where we find the fuel. And that's where I find unending fuel, real fuel. You know, I, and, and I'm not saying that you can't, you can eat garbage food and not sleep, right? And, and somehow that there's always fuel there. No, you gotta, you gotta do the other things too. You know, yeah, eat your fruits and veggies, drink a lot of water, get some sleep, reduce stress, the bad stress, not the good stress. And, and those are important pieces, but the heart piece is so critically important to the fuel that if you're missing that, then you've got to go back and ask yourself, why am I doing this? What's the real purpose of this? What's the real purpose of my work? And sometimes what you'll find is that you just lost your purpose. You don't even need to change jobs. You just needed to reconnect to what it was. And then other people are like, no, now that I'm digging in, I'm recognizing this actually isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. I need to be doing something differently. And they finally find their flow and, and then things click. I feel like I'm still doing that. I mean, even with my new front row dads thing, like professional speaker for 10 years, right? And, and all of a sudden to wake up overnight and go, wait a minute, that was my calling. And now my calling is this dad's thing. It's very different. I'll still probably do speaking about it, but yeah, I'm, I'm meant to run this front row dads group. That's a big realization. And, and it's funny is sometimes your friends will affirm it. My friends have been telling me, they're like, dude, you've done a lot of good things that you've aligned with your values and, but nothing has been better than front row dads. This is what you were born to do more than anything in the world. This is what you're born to do. That feels really good. Even just have somebody reflect that back to you to affirm that. And it's not that I'm doing it for them, but boy, do I, I hear that. And then I know it's true. I'm like, you're right. You're totally right. I know that. And I'm glad you can see it too. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring the right person takes time. Time that you often don't have. But you shouldn't let a time crunch get in the way of finding the right candidates for your business. That's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. In fact, I was on LinkedIn Jobs this morning looking for candidates to fill a key role in one of my businesses. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with hard and soft skills you're looking for so that you can hire the right person quickly. 
You can look for things like collaboration, creativity, and adaptability, looking beyond just work skills and resumes to connect you with the candidates who are a perfect match for your business. That's how LinkedIn makes sure that your job post gets in front of the people you actually want to hire because they have a much better ability to get a deep insight into exactly who is the right candidate for you and your business. Find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com slash success. Again, that's linkedin.com slash success to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. I want to come back to front row dads in just a second, but before we do, how do we find that purpose or that heart? And for someone who who doesn't have it, who feels lost or confused, how do they go about beginning that journey? A lot of it's silence. I'm such a big fan of silence. You know, people often think it's it's more about reading something or listening to something. And for the, I wrote a book. I read all the time. I host a podcast. I listen to them all the time. But I'm also, as an example, I've got a 10-day silent retreat coming up in January, in two months. 10 days, no talking, no journaling, no reading, 10 days of pure silence. And I think that that's one of the things that we're missing is this opportunity to just not hear anything except for what's happening in our heart and in our soul. Like oftentimes that we're so busy with things that we don't, we don't hear the messages. If your face is buried in Instagram and Facebook or even on podcasts or in books, if you're buried in that, constantly trying to add something to your life, learn a new quote or strategy or actionable idea, if they're buried in that, you're missing one of the biggest elements, which is silence. I remember like a year ago, I was going through a difficult time in my marriage and one of my buddies was like, it's so good to have people that will just call you out, right? And like, just be honest with you. Like I got enough, I got a lot of people in my life. Thank you, by the way, for all the high fives and the U rocks and all that. I love it. Thank you. But boy, do I crave people that are like, let me tell you something nobody wants to tell you. <laughs> That's actually, to me, the most valuable comment. And I had a buddy who was like, you know, dude, one of the problems is you don't know what you want. You got to stop listening to other people. You got to stop asking other people for advice. You got to stop thinking about what's right for your partner. What's missing is you don't know who you are anymore. You don't know what you want. You don't know what direction you're going in. You need to connect with what you want, who you are, where you, where you want your life to go. Because that's attractive also, right, to other people. Certainty. It's not, it's the balance of confidence and humility. It's the best blend. Somebody that's both confident and humble. You know, Jocko Willink, I'm a big fan of. Had a chance to introduce him at an event, you know, a couple, like a month ago. I was talking to him backstage and I was like, this guy is the perfect blend of confidence and humility, in my opinion. No perfection in the world, of course, but he's awesome at that. You'd think like, he's actually not a bulldozer of a person. And I know people that have been on his SEAL team and he's not a bulldozer of a person, but he has to know when to say, this is what we're doing. But he also has to know when somebody comes to him and says, 
that could be the wrong move. And then he has to be both confident enough to know when he has to say yes and, and humble enough to say, you know what, you're right. I didn't see that. You're right. Let's change. And I think that for a lot of us, that's the case. Such a great piece of advice. And, and I get so many emails from listeners who are lost, who can't find their purpose, who feel like they don't know what they want to do with lives or they don't know which goals they should be pursuing. And I think that's a really powerful piece of advice for them. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and, and I just, I thank all the people that have traveled the road before me who have both written, spoken about, and shared this into my life, into my heart directly in many different ways, but particularly my buddy, Tim, who directly said this to me. And that was really great wisdom because it wasn't another book that I needed. And it wasn't another podcast. It was, it was, it was silence. I needed to hear what I already knew to be true. And I just forgot that. So I want to, I want to come back and, and spend a little bit of time talking about Front Row Dads and your new initiative to start out and I know this isn't directly related to fatherhood, but in many ways it, it is. I'd love to hear the story of your son and, his, and when he was rock climbing. And, and that'll have some lessons for everybody. And then we can talk a little bit about front row dads as well. Yeah. So my son is four at the time of this story. And we're living in New Jersey. I would take him out to this kind of pop-up park, this festival that was happening in our neighborhood. And they had set up a big rock wall, probably 30 or 40 feet tall. And we were walking by it and he's like, I want to climb that wall. And he's four. Just want to set the stage again. And I think to myself, there's no way. Like this is a big kid activity. I, I, he won't fit in the harness. There's no way he's going to do this. He can't reach the different, you know, holds on the wall. But he's super persistent as a, as a four-year-old should be, right? As he's just asking me repeatedly to do it. So I, I, I kind of cave and just go, all right, fine, go. You know, <laughs> it's kind of like I, I, I wanted to be like, yeah, you're going to try it and you're going to know I'm right. And I didn't quite say that out loud, but that's what was going on in my heart, right? It was just like, you know, there's no way. Well, he gets harnessed up, barely, you know, barely fits him. And he gets his hands on the wall and the kid just shoots up like 30 feet on the wall, almost to the top, like probably five or 10 feet from the top. And I'm blown away. I'm, I'm sitting there. I'm, I'm beside myself. I can't believe he did it. So clearly I'm standing corrected, right? And when he gets to this part of the wall where the wall inverts out, it looks to me like the expert part of the wall, the part of the wall that they last five feet, most challenging. He stops right there. He turns around. He looks at me and he yells down. He goes, Papa. He goes, I can't. And he's looking up and he's looking down at me and he just, he's intimidated and he, and he, he tries and he can't do it. And I'm thinking to myself, well, of course you can't. Like you're four, dude. <laughs> you know, like I'm amazed at what you did, but I'm not shocked you can't make it past the expert part. And so because my brain said, well, of course, that, that's not for him, right? I say, hey, buddy, it's okay. You tried, you know, and I just thought that was like encouraging and supportive. And I thought that, man, I really nailed that as a dad. <laughs> Until the guy who was the, you know, the guy who was working at the Rockwell, he looked at me. Before my son could let go, he looked at me, he said, hey, man, he goes, I think your boy can do this. He turns around, he looks up at my son and he says, hey, little man, he said, try again. My son heard this confident vote to give it another shot from the guy who worked there. And my son grabs a hold of the wall and with all of his might and with every ounce of strength in this little four-year-old body, he makes it to the very, very top of the wall. And he smashes his button and the lights go off and he's coming down from the wall and everybody's clapping and cheering, right? This little four-year-old who just made it to the very top of this wall 
And he walks over to me and I give him a high five. And I'm like, buddy, you did it. I'm blown away. I'm so proud of you. And this guy who's standing next to me, we get to talking and you know, where he's like, yeah, your boy is, I can't believe he did that. He's only four. And I was like, yeah, it's amazing. And he's like, yeah, that's really amazing. And then as my son's getting the harness taken off, the guy's like, so you live around here? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, what do you do? And I was like, I'm a motivational speaker. <laughs> and I realize as I say that, how what just happened at this wall was not what a motivational speaker would do. Why was it that I was literally... I was like, ah, there's no way you can do this. Like, ah, you tried, buddy, but come on down. Why is it that the guy who worked there was the only one who was like, you got this, try again. And I realized in that moment that we, we often treat other people like we remember them in the past, not as who they've become. And that I'm actually, as a father, more susceptible to that than even a stranger. Because I think of my son as he was when he was three and a half or three, or I fail to see because I see him every day that he has grown and he has changed. I'm constantly treating him like I remember what his capabilities were. And that I realized as a dad that I need to be hyper vigilant to not let that happen, to not let my own perceptions of my son's abilities stand in the way of his progress in life. And then I started thinking about how I do that on my team. How sometimes like somebody will work, you know, for Front Row Foundation and I'll think they have these capabilities and I treat them as such. But if they went and worked somewhere else, somebody might give them a, a, a job uh, promotion or another title and all of a sudden they rise to the occasion. I mean, there's, there's a lot of science behind that, right? About studies of teachers who are given classrooms and they say, your classroom's gifted and the kids perform at such. Hey, your classroom's challenged. Be careful with them. And then they, they drop in their scores. And in our lives, we, whether it's being a dad or a husband or a wife or whoever you are, leading a team, part of your community, you have to see what's possible in situations. That's, that's being hopeful for what's next, right? You have to see possibility and then you have, to, you have to believe in that before it even comes true. And I think that's cool. You know, my friend Jeff Woods, who works with uh, Gary Keller and Jay Papazan, they work on a project called The One Thing. Right? And it's a training company and an awesome book. You guys have probably read it. And one of the things he talks about is Gary's definition of what a goal is. And a real goal is to know how to be appropriate in the moment. Like the purpose of a goal is to be appropriate in the moment. And that when we have a vision or a goal, it tells us how we can then act in the moment. And I think that oftentimes we have to understand what is our goal to, as a parent? What is our goal as a community leader or a team leader? right? Uh, an entrepreneur or whoever you are. And then how can we learn to be more appropriate in the moment? And as a father, as somebody who wants to be a leader of others, I need to be more appropriate in recognizing somebody's potential in that moment of what they could become. That's being a moment maker, by the way. When we talk about being a moment maker, that's what it's about. And, and for listeners who want to dig in on, we went really deep in our previous interview on how to create and, and make incredible moments in your life. But I want to spend, I know we're, we're running out of time, but I want to spend a couple minutes and, and hear a little bit more about some of the lessons that you've learned from Front Row Dads. Oh, man, this has been the best project yet. You know, two years ago, it all started because I, I didn't think I was an awesome dad and husband. You know, like I got honest with myself. I was at a party and somebody's like, what do you do? And <laughs> I started to answer with like what I thought they were asking, which is, you know, speaker, ch charity thing. And 
I cut myself off and I answered it how I wanted to answer it, how I wished I'd answered it for years, which is that I'm a father and I'm a husband. But when I'm not doing that, I happen to do these other things on the side. And most people think of themselves, in my case, with my dads, not my dads, but, but guys that are my demographic, right? These are, these are guys who think of themselves as businessmen with families versus a family man with a business. And so whether you're a, a man or a dad or whomever, think about how you identify in the world, like what's really important. Where is your identity? And so for me, one of the most valuable things about Front Row Dads is that this community holds me to the identity of being a family man with a business, not a businessman with a family. We always say these are, these are men with wisdom who are wise enough to know there's more to learn. And that's who I want to be. I want to be surrounded by people who are not only that have wisdom, but are just that have the humility to come in and say, what else can I know? And, and it's not always about something new. It's remember, it's something true. So what has the community taught me? Countless lessons, but a couple have really been game changers. I, I shared one with you and I'll share it with your audience right now. That is that at this retreat that we just had, 33 guys got together for three days. I brought in one of my friends, Dr. Kelly Flanagan, to be a guest and, and to, to, to speak and answer questions. And this guy's great. He wrote a book called Lovable. He's fantastic. And Dr. Kelly, or he allows me to call him Kelly, he's talking to the guys. And one of the things that comes up is about shame. This idea of like with our kids and even as dads, how shame shows up in our life. And he gives a great metaphor that I think is valuable for anybody. This is not just for dads, but it's certainly applied to us. And here's what he said. He said, I've thought a lot about this like ego that we have, this false self and the true self. And he goes, the way I see it is that we're all born with our true self. That's why my four-year-old right now can run around naked downstairs and do his, you know, do a dance in the middle of our living room without any fear because he's being, he's born his true self, right? And then what happens is when he starts to go to school or he grows up a little bit, he actually experiences some shame, some pain and starts to develop a little bit of a false self. And where that, like as an example of that, it's like you don't feel cool enough because you're not wearing the cool clothes or brands or something like that, or you don't have cool sneakers. And you start to feel that who you are as a person isn't enough in the world and that you need to build a false self to fit in and to be loved and be appreciated and be connected. So we have to get this certain pair of shoes in order to get connected. And we all experience it. It's a natural part of growing up. Right. And to different degrees and different levels, of course, with different people. But we develop this false self. And then what we do is we spend the rest of our life trying to figure out who our true self is again. Right. Got to go back to the beginning. Another one of my friends says it's little like we call it his school. He runs a school. He calls it butterfly, cocoon, butterfly right? or butterfly, caterpillar, butterfly. It's like this idea of like they're born a butterfly free. Then they sort of get into this cocoon and then they come out butterfly again at the, you know, towards the end when they figure out who they really are. And so what, what Kelly says, the, the great metaphor that I think he used, it was perfect. He said, when we're like, let's say fourth, fifth grade, we start to develop a castle and these castle walls are like the image that we project to the world. We start to build a protective boundary around us so that people really don't know who we are. And my example of that is like the castle walls are a little bit like clothes, right? We put on clothes to protect ourselves from the world and to project an image to the world of who we are, how we want to be identified. So we build these castle walls. And he goes, that's to protect yourself from other people hurting you. You're not enough. You don't fit in, right? You don't wear the cool clothes. He goes, but then 
usually a few years later, we actually figure out that we can put cannons on that castle. And these cannons that we put on will allow us to actually go on the offense with people. So before other people can hurt us, we can fire a cannon and hurt them. That might be with a sarcastic remark, right? That's where we can actually attack if we think we're in jeopardy. So we learn that we can do that to protect ourselves or make ourselves feel better is to put somebody else down or to, right, to, to hurt somebody else before they can hurt us. That's, that's the essence of the canon. And then what we do is in our lives, we actually find that we have a throne and the throne is a place of righteousness. The throne is actually a place where you're great. You're really good at something and you can actually sit on that throne and you get to kind of lead your kingdom from there. You could be really good at math. You could be the best writer. You could be really good at sports. When you're out of school, you might find that you're really good at a particular business. And then you get into that and you find your sweet spot and you're just like, I found my throne where I can sort of be right in the world. These are my opinions, my decisions, and this is where our ego likes to live is in this throne. He says, but then once we have all this, we also recognize that our castle has a drawbridge. And we have this opportunity to put the drawbridge down and to walk out and to be vulnerable with people, to be open and to expose kind of our, our true selves. And we made the joke at the dad's retreat about like running naked through a field, right? like this true self. But in all, all seriousness, it's really about being able to just like put, drop the guard, you know, drop the guard and just be you. Now, the cool thing of what Dr. Kelly said that I think is really applicable here to everybody is that I actually told Kelly that I actually had shame around the fact that I built a castle. I said, actually, I look back on my life and I feel horrible about the fact that I was so insecure that I had to like wear all these clothes and I said mean things and I did mean things to people to make myself feel better or to fit in, right? I'd put somebody else down to get in with another group, right? I would compromise my values to meet my need for connection. And I felt bad about that. And he said, right. He said, the thing is we don't, need to attack our castle and we don't need to make our castle wrong because the castle never goes away. In fact, it's good that you have it because you're probably not going to go to a, a wedding for a friend and walk out and you meet somebody new and all of a sudden you're like, hey, what's your name? What do you do? And you're like, hey, let me tell you everything about my life, my deepest, darkest secrets. Let me tell you, let me literally pull back the curtain and hold nothing back. He goes, that's, that's not necessarily how we should be engaging with people anyways right? We want to be open. We want to walk out of our castle a little bit, or, but we also know that at some times it actually might be good to be in our castle. There are actually times when we might need that to protect ourselves, right? And he goes, the difference is whether or not we know that the castle is there, how to use the castle, how to come out of the castle, and then how, how we shouldn't make the castle a bad thing, but to understand that everybody has a true self that they're born with. They, they find a false self, which is their ego. And then they hopefully find their way back to their true self in their life. And I think that to me, one of the things I came into Front Row Dads thinking was that I was going to learn these things that I could say to my kid to be a better dad. Like, do this thing. Do this thing every Monday at nine and you'll be a better dad. You know, like, make sure to send your kid to this school and you'll be an awesome dad. And I thought there were going to be these practical, logical, very male-focused, you know, like, things. And we have plenty of those. But what I'm realizing is that just like in the book, The Awakened Family, the real growth that your kids experience is because of the real growth that you as a dad experience or you as a mom experience or the real growth of your business is the experience, that, the, the growth of the, the leader. That's why Jim Rohn famously always said that your, you know, your, your business success will rarely exceed the level of your personal development. And so as a dad, most of my breakthroughs 
are coming by the way of how I see myself or how I get myself under control. Like I quit drinking. All of a sudden I'm a better dad. You know, I, I change things about my own life and all of a sudden I'm just a better dad. All of a sudden I, I take better care of myself physically. I've got more energy for my kids. Like have to know that there's this piece of it where the more I learn about myself, the more emotionally resilient I am, the more emotional mastery I have in my life, uh, less like I am to yell at my kids or yell at my wife in front of my kids. Or, you know, there's all these things that I know a lot of people deal with. A lot of people, you know, people don't want to admit it, that they're getting angry behind the scenes and losing their, you know what, but it's like, they do. The best guys, people you'd never think lose their minds behind the scenes. And I think that this front row dads thing for me has just been another dive into my growth with some lessons, of course, about how to be a better husband, better be a better dad. Those are there for sure. And the practice of doing those, the attention and intention of doing these things. Such a fascinating topic and, and really, really interesting exploration. For, for listeners who have listened to this interview, who want to take some kind of action step, do something concrete to start implementing some of the ideas and themes that we've talked about today into their lives, what would be one piece of homework or one action item that you would give them? Well, I would write out your list of, to- of your top eight relationships and write out their dreams. And then do something once a month to support their dream. Send them a text message and be like, how's it going with your, your goal here or your goal there, right? Like, do, write them down, hang them up somewhere where you can see them and follow up with people. And do that right now, right? Starting in, the, depending on when this airs, but, you know, do this for the next 12 months. That's an easy thing to do. It, it's actually easy to do. It's also easy not to do. It's easy for somebody to be like, oh, that's a great idea. And then right back into their day which is cool. I know we're all busy. Everybody's busy. Got it. You're full. You've got to choose where you want to put your time and energy. But I mean, listen, I, I would challenge somebody to tell me why that wouldn't be a good use of time. Tell me what's more important than knowing who are the most important relationships in your life and helping support their dreams. Like, tell me where that's not important. Tell me how that's not relevant. Uh, and I think it's actually one of the most fulfilling things to do. And, and don't do it just because you think you're getting social equity. Don't do it just because you want a place to keep score because six months from now, you're going to launch a book and you're going to demand they write you a review and you did them a favor. So they better do you a favor. Like that's not the heart behind it. The heart behind it is like, do this with no expectation of anything in return. Do, do this with no expectation of anybody doing anything in return for you. But do this because it's the right thing to do, supporting people with their dreams. Now, you already know that you help enough people with their dreams and people will be excited to help you with yours. You know that's going to happen, right? But don't let that be the primary motivation here. You know, let, of course, that's part of it. Of course, we're all motivated by, hey, look, if, if I put a lot of good out, you know, it's not a bad thing to feel good too, <laughs> right? Like, that's not a bad thing. It's just, yeah, do that. That's your action. And for listeners who want to find you and all the things you're working on online, what's the best place for them to do that? Main hub for everything is frontrowfactor.com. That's got, you know, all the stuff is there. But if you want the dad stuff, it's frontrowdads.com. Charities, frontrowfoundation.org. But if you want an easy thing to remember, just Front Row Factor. And if you go pump in to the internet, John Front Row, you'll probably find me. So yeah, and I'd love to, I'd love to serve. We've got the Front Row Factor podcast where we're talking to people who are facing life-threatening illnesses and how do we navigate those, those very difficult spaces. So, you know, listen, the percentage of people that either battle a life-threatening illness or know somebody who has is through the roof, that would be the podcast for them. And we have our Front Row Dads podcast. So if you, if you are a dad or you know a dad, you know, then that's a place where we're interviewing epic dads about their journey and what they're learning. 
Well, John, thank you so much for coming on the show, for sharing all these incredible insights and all this wisdom. It's been a pleasure to have you back on The Science of Success. Hey, great to be here, guys. A true honor. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to The Science of Success. We created this show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I read and respond to every single listener email. I'm going to give you three reasons why you should sign up for our email list today by going to successpodcast.com, signing up right on the homepage. There's some incredible stuff that's only available to those on the email list, so be sure to sign up, including an exclusive curated weekly email from us called Mindset Monday, which is short, simple, filled with articles, stories, things that we found interesting and fascinating in the world of evidence-based growth in the last week. Next, you're getting an exclusive chance to shape the show, including voting on guests, submitting your own personal questions that we'll ask guests on air, and much more. Lastly, you're gonna get a free guide we created based on listener demand, our most popular guide, which is called How to Organize and Remember Everything. You can get it completely for free, along with another surprise bonus guide by signing up and joining the email list today. Again, you can do that at successpodcast.com, sign up right at the homepage, or if you're on the go, just text the word SMARTER, S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. Remember, the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes because that helps boost the algorithm that helps us move up the iTunes rankings and helps more people discover the science of success. Don't forget, if you want to get all the incredible information we talk about in the show, links, transcripts, everything we discuss, and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. You can get those at successpodcast.com. Just hit the show notes button right at the top. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success. Success.